on days in the gap when we were not moving the Jeep, there would be, you know, sometimes a day or two, maybe even more, where the Jeep would stay in one place, men would work trail, clear trail, cut trail, search trail, then come back, and we would move the Jeep the following day or so, and, you know, we'd make a ooh, half mile. Wow. We'll be I'm Tony, and welcome to the Jeep Talk Show, the show where we talk about all things Jeep, from Wranglers to Cherokees and everything in between. I'm your host, the one, the only, the man with the plan, the Jeep-loving machine and voice that's slicker than wet limestone rock. Now, let me tell you, my friends, sometimes the best Jeep action is all in your head. So sit back, relax, and let me take you on a journey through the world of Jeeps. Whether you're a seasoned Jeep veteran or a newbie who's just getting into the game, we've got something for everyone. So I am currently, (laughs) yeah, yeah, through the magic of uh, recording and playing back at a later date, uh, I am currently at Easter Jeep Safari, uh, and I am sure I am going to have lots of tales to tell you on uh, future episodes, so you got to make sure that you subscribe to the show oh and speaking of subscribing you can now subscribe through patreon and get early access episodes commercial free episodes jeep talk show stickers uh and more i think there's only one one more thing but there's more And uh, so it's it's always a good idea to go over there uh, because it helps out the show. It makes us uh, able to do things like go to Easter Jeep Safari. I know. What does that do for you? Well, you get to see all the fun stuff. You hear about the fun stuff uh, that we uh, that we did there. And uh, I, I'm just really looking forward to going. I'm I'm actually leaving tomorrow. So uh, this is uh, this is going to be put out uh, a week after I've recorded it. So the instead of me trying to act like we had such a great time at Easter Jeep Safari, I'm just going to be honest with you. <laughs> but I'm sure there's going to be very interesting things to talk about uh, on the uh, the future episodes, especially on uh, the Tuesday and Thursday episode. So uh, speaking of being at Easter Jeep Safari, this means that uh, for this week, we did not have a roundtable episode, but the roundtable will be coming back uh, next week. Uh, so uh, hopefully you uh, will be there for that. At least if you can't attend, at least you can listen to the, uh, the publication of it on Wednesday. Oh, and uh, I want to mention this. The Jeep Talk Show website now has an events section. You can go to our Jeeps, uh, our, our Jeep site. You can go to our site, jeeptalkshow.com, and click on events to find out more about upcoming events. And uh, uh, our new volunteer, Chip, is going to be putting all kinds of great event information in there. So uh, you want to learn about this page just as soon as possible so that you can see what's going on around the country and what's going on with Jeep Talk Show events. Are you ready? It's time for the Jeep Talk Show with hosts Tony, Josh, Wendy, and Chuck. Hey man, this is Jay Rowe. I want to talk to you about the Jeep Talk Show. You know, you could become a subscriber on Patreon now. And, well, damn it, I just love that show. I, I, I want to support it. I've been listening to it for free for a really long time. It's just so much damn fun, and I look forward to it. Uh, all four episodes every week. So I'm urging you to go over to jeeptalkshow.com slash subscribe or go to the one they always, uh, they're always forcing down our throat, jeeptalkshow.com slash contact, and you'll see how you can become a Patreon subscriber for as little as $5. I mean, four episodes a week, five bucks. 
What a deal. That's right, j And on top of that way of going uh, over to our Patreon to be a subscriber, uh, we now have a banner ad on the Jeep Talk Show site. So if you just go to jeeptalkshow.com, uh, look for the banner ad, and it will t- have a flashing subscribe button. I know it's hideous and uh, obtrusive, but uh, hey, you can find it this way, right? So go over there and become a subscriber today. From around the world... Or from your city. And sometimes just down the street. Howdy, neighbor. It's the Jeep Talk Show interview. Alrighty, ho, boys and girls. It's time for another Jeep Talk Show interview. And tonight we're going to be talking with Patty Upton. That's pretty simple to pronounce, I think, Patty. I'm horrible at names. Is that, did I get that right? Is it Upton? Yep, you got it. Oh, thank God. Uh, so tonight we're going to be talking about a world odyssey, the epic voyage of the sand ship discovery. Lauren and Patty Upton drove one American made vehicle, a 1966 CJ five Jeep around the world and on a North South course <clears throat> from, uh, Purdue, Purdue, Purdue. What is that? Purdue Bay. Purdue. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's like the third try. I got it. Purdue uh, Bay, Alaska to Punta Arenas. Oh, God. Help me with Punta this Arenas. one. Punta Arenas. There we go. Chile, including the first all-land crossing of the notorious uh, Darien Gap of Panama and Colombia by a motor vehicle that put the Uptons in the 1992 Guinness Book of Records. That was a very popular book when I was in uh, junior high, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Darien was a seven four, 741 days, 125 miles of no roads, only dense juggles, torturous rivers, rugged mountains, and swamps. The expedition continued from a Cape... Oh, God. <laughs> Agalas. Agalas. <laughs> South Africa. Now... Patty, Patty, I know, very unprofessional, but our listeners are used to this, so it's all right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll jump in and help when I can. Thank you. Thank (laughs) you very much. That's basically been my job all all along, was just to jump in and help where I could. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Cape? Cape Agalas. South Africa to? Gamvik, Norway. (laughs) 4,000 miles of four-wheeling in Africa, a life-threatening breakdown in the Sahara Desert, and an eye-opening journey through the former Soviet Union. This overland journey was over 56,000 miles and five years, providing a lifetime of memories. And and I would imagine these are memories that you could not have scraped from your brain if you wanted them uh, removed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've got the scars to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> so thank, me, thank you very much for helping me through that uh, the introduction, Patty. So, uh, Patty, um, now, first off, was did you lose a bet? Is that the reason why you had to go on this adventure? <laughs> no, it was when Lauren's it's kind of hard to explain. Lauren wanted he's always wanted to be different. He always wanted to do something different. He didn't want to be weird different. He just wanted to do something different. And he wanted to explore. He wanted to go out. He wanted to see what was there, go over the mountains, see what was down in the valley. And he decided that taking one American-made vehicle around the world on a north-south course, all on land, hadn't been done. So why not do that? So we actually started this trip in 1975. And it was driving a Ford F-250 pickup. And he, um, it was, a, I don't remember what year the Ford was. It, I think it may have been 72, but I'm not positive on that. Mm-hmm. 
I met him in 75 when he arrived in, at that time, the canal zone of Panama. I was living and working down there. And I was young. I was helpful, but it, it was one of those things I wanted to do, but I couldn't make that leap to do it. You right. know, I, I would right. love to have joined him. He was looking for volunteers, but I wasn't ready. And on that particular trip, uh, he always said the Ford looked really good, but everything he carried didn't break and everything that broke, he didn't carry. And uh, he uh, was just a few miles off a gravel construction road in the Darien Gap when he broke an entire axle housing. Oh, We're not no. talking the axle shaft. We're talking the entire axle housing. Right. And he was out to get parts. And the one expedition member that stayed, Larry, was shot and killed. Nobody knows why, except the guy that fired the shot, and he was never found. So that put an end to that trip. So Lauren started over in 1970, excuse me, 1977, driving a CJ7 Jeep, brand new CJ7 Jeep, just off the showroom floor, and took off for Panama. I saw him briefly while he was there. Again, it was one of those things I toyed with, but no, not ready yet. Can't do it. So, um... He went through the gap, made it through 49 days, but he did about eight to 10 miles, lashed atop a dugout canoe up through the uh, Toronto swamp area looking for dry land. And he never felt good about it because it wasn't an all land crossing, but that became a moot point um, several weeks later when he lost that Jeep over a 300 foot embankment in Ecuador. And he says he remembers watching the, the headlights flip end for end. And as it did, he was planning the next trip. So in 1979, he started off again. That time when he came down through Panama, I never saw him. I don't know. We just didn't. I think I was living on the Atlantic side of Panama at that time instead of the Pacific. Mm -hmm. And uh, he went through the gap, or didn't go through the, I shouldn't say didn't go through. He got into the gap, and he got into what they call the Los Catios National Park, which was a newly created park. And a park official confronted him and said, well, you need permission to go through here. You have to go to Bogota. So Lawrence said, okay, fine, I'll go to Bogota. It took 11 days. Men on the payroll, expedition, rains coming, everything stopped for 11 days. He went up the mission, came back, started up the expedition again, and the park official came up and said, I, you know, started blabbering at him. And Lawrence says, okay, okay, I've got the permission right here. And the park official says, no, 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 not that, not that. <laughs> not well, that the park one. official wanted money. <laughs> yeah. And Lawrence, not, that's not in Lawrence's character, especially when he was originally told he needed permission. So he's abiding by what the guy said. Anyway, long story short, uh, Lawrence said it was a very poor choice of words. He told the gentleman that, I shouldn't say the gentleman, he would never call that man a gentleman. He told the park official that you're going to need more men and guns to stop me. Poor choice of words. <laughs> the park official returned with more men and guns. Lawrence saw the point of view, and that put an end to that trip. That Jeep was just abandoned in the Jeep. Oh, no. That's horrible. And since Lauren had said out loud he would take one American-made vehicle around the world and not a series of them, he had to start over again. So that's why the 1966 Jeep in 1984, he started at Bruno Bay, Alaska. June 15th, the ice was just breaking up on the Arctic Ocean, and uh, he headed for Panama. When he arrived in Panama in um, fall, October of 84, I said, I'm ready to join. I can help out, at least for 30 days. I can arrange to have someone take care of my job, and I could go for 30 days. Because at that time, everyone thought, piece of cake, 30 days, we'll be through. He'd done it in 49 days before. You know, he was all set. And uh, that wasn't to be. 
And uh, so we took off in February of 1985. Dry season is the only time you can go through the Darien Gap, at least sanely, because you got nine months of rain. There isn't a Panama Canal down there because there's no water. There's lots of rain. So mm -hmm. nine months out of the year it rains. You have about three months when it's not raining, and that's the only window you have to really try to go through that Darien Gap region when the, the ground dries out, the swamp dries out a little bit, and you can make it through there. So, Patty, let me ask you a quick question. Um, mm -hmm. How long were you into the trip before uh, he told you about his uh, former uh, person traveling with him was shot and killed? Oh, I knew it all. I knew it all. <laughs> you see, you see what I'm saying yeah. here. You knew what oh, you were yeah. getting into. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that was that was that was something that Lauren wanted to make well known. That you know, everyone was to go into this with their eyes wide open. He was not going to hold back and and sugarcoat it or gloss over it. He wanted you to know full on. There's a possibility you're going to be shot and killed. There's a possibility we're going to be robbed. You know, there's going to be breakdowns. There's going to be bad days. There's going to be good days. He didn't sugarcoat any of it. And in fact, he had his, he had a copy of the British Expeditions, uh, kind of a transcript. It was only maybe three or four pages long of the British did a, a, a like an 18 minute, 20 minute, um, 16 millimeter movie of their trip through there with the, the Range Rovers and the one Land Rover. And he had a transcript of that. Uh, typed out. He had his journal from 77 uh, typed out and his 79 journal typed out. And he had some, um, what do you call it, newspaper articles. So all of this was there. So you, I had lots of reading material. And I would, on days in the gap when we were not moving the Jeep, there would be, you know, sometimes a day or two, maybe even more, where the Jeep would stay in one place, men would work trail, clear trail, cut trail, search trail, then come back and we would move the Jeep the following day or so. And, you know, we'd make a ooh, half mile. Wow. We'll be. That's amazing. And uh, so I did a lot of reading and I would be reading these journals and I'd be reading, the, the, oh, and Mark Smith. I had some of the Mark Smith stuff too, magazine articles. And it was like, I'm reading these stories of these other places, people that have been through there, and I'm sitting in the Darien Gap, and I'm looking around thinking, I don't see what they see. I'm not, I, I'm not feeling the discomfort and the anxiety and it, that these people felt. Um, the British went in there looking at it as it was going to be a war. You know, they were going to overcome and went in with helicopters and, I don't know, dynamite and bridging ladders and God knows what else, and a hundred men or something. Um, Mark Smith had chainsaws, uh, went in there and literally blazed a highway through there. Um, this is not what Lauren wanted to do. He was, he's a true romantic and he wanted to do it in that frame of mind. Went through with axes and machetes, no dynamite. We have to, if we can't find a way to cross a river, we'll build a bridge, which we've done. And we built a bridge across one river. Um, we crossed rivers, but never traveled up or down them. A lot of the, well, all the other expeditions, that was what they did, is they'd get to a difficult area, and they'd get on a river and go up the river or down the river, so they got around the difficult area mm -hmm. and continue on. Yeah, makes sense. Mm -hmm. so you know, I mean, you ask the natives down there, well, how do I get from Boca de Cupi to Basal? They said, well, you get on the river here, and you go down the river, and you get to Basal. No, that's not what we want to do. We have to stay on land. I have to go over land to get to the salt but well, we don't go that way so fine go out there and search a trail 
find a way to walk from Boca de Cupe to Basal. And they would do it. Um, we had some good men working for us, really good men. Um, good guide. Margarito was our guide the second dry season and third dry season in the Gap. And he worked for Lauren on a previous expedition and just really, really good. Knew the jungle, knew how to read the jungle, couldn't use a compass to save his life. You give him a <laughs> compass and he put it in his pocket and look at the sun. Yeah. Well, whatever worked. So let me ask you another quick question. Uh, you, he, this was his, his dream was to do an American-made vehicle. And American-made meaning not that um, um, it was that it had been done before in non-American vehicles. So he wanted to do it in an American-made vehicle. And it didn't matter if it was a Ford or a Jeep or, or whatever. I, I would assume that after tr trying it with the Ford, uh, he, he thought better of the Jeep being smaller and, and more nimble. He, yeah. He was a Jeep guy from years ago. I mean, he, his first vehicle that he had when he was a kid was probably a Jeep. Mm -hmm. But no, it had, it's never been done by any vehicle entirely by land. Any of the other vehicle expeditions, whether they be two-wheel drive or four-wheel drive vehicles through the Daring Gap, have all gone a good portion by river. We are the only ones, whether, no matter what vehicle you want to take it in, have gone entirely on land. We crossed rivers, but never traveled up or down. We came to a river... We crossed it. Right. Came to another river, we would cross it. We wouldn't go up or down to avoid the steep bank on the other side. We would search to make sure that wherever we came out on the river, we could get across the river and up the other bank without too much difficulty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, that's, and, and I think that's great because you can actually cr cover a lot of ground uh, on rivers. And, of course, they uh, people that had, uh, lived there for many, many uh, generations would do that all the time. So, sure. uh, yeah, hats off. I mean, I, that's the most difficult way of doing it, and it, it truly is uh, traveling. I mean, I, I'm sure if the snorkel would have been long enough, uh, they you oh, guys would yeah. cross the cross the river <laughs> without a bridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. The one, well, the one that we had across with a bridge that was about five and a half feet deep. So even a snorkel wouldn't have helped at that point. Um, yeah, it was about thirty feet across and five and a half feet deep, and nobody lived in the area. I mean, it was just desolate uh, area, just jungle. And uh, so we spent two and a half days building a bridge. Fortunately, Lauren's uh, background is bridge building. So, oh, perfect. You know, he had some some clue how to, and granted, he does it with steel girders and, and poured concrete. And mm -hmm. Well, the, sort of the, the principles yeah. are the same as far as the, right. uh, adjusting the load and everything else. Did you guys exactly. have, did you guys do this with just uh, hand saws and axes? Or axes and machetes and no, and shovels. No chainsaw. No chainsaws. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Nope. You, yeah, you, you and you get right down to it, especially for the length of time we were there, the more mechanical things you have, the more things you have to go wrong, the more supplies you have to carry to keep those mechanical things running. Mm -hmm. All you need for uh, an axe and a machete is a file. Yep. That's it. Yeah. And, and, of course, the fuel, I would imagine that you primarily want fuel for the uh, to keep the Jeep uh, traveling. Right. So. That was a bit that lo the logistics of any trip like this, especially through the Darien Gap, were mind boggling. Making sure that we had the fuel, having to you know, stockpile it in various places, pack it by man over the border into Colombia. Once we were in Colombia, then it was packed by uh, um, mules and and that sort of thing. So and and. It was that that's logistics for the hard part. I mean, actually doing it was easy compared to finding out where you're going to get fuel, how you're going to get fuel there. Are we going to have fuel when we get there or has it, you know, walked away from where we've stockpiled it? That sort of thing. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of unknown. So that's the, that's all part of the adventure, I'm sure. Um, so you, you mentioned you were in uh, in Panama. Is that where you're from or were you there uh, for uh, for work or, or, or how, how were you in Panama? Well, my dad was a civilian working for the military. Uh, he'd been in the Marine Corps for, for 23 years, retired, and then went to work for the uh, Defense Intelligence Agency and was shipped down to Panama. And um, I did my last two years of high school down there and then two years of college at the junior college in the Canal Zone. And when I got off the plane in Panama, I said, eternal summer. I love it. Oh, I'm an outdoor wow. person. This is, this is my type of living. I mean, you just... Outdoors. Oh, good, good. I thought you were saying uh, eternal summer. I don't like summer. I'm fat boy in Southeast Texas does not like summer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, it's all different. You know, I mean, you had to live with the humidity, but I mean, Christmas was always steaks on, steaks on the barbecue. I mean, who wants to turn mm. the oven on and cook a 20 pound turkey or a 15 pound turkey and heat up your whole house when it's, you know, 95 degrees outside? Sure. So yeah, you put your Christmas lights up and you never take them down, and that's that's the way it was. And, and maybe you already said, where was Lauren from? He was from Southern California. He was born in Riverside, uh, California. All right, good. So, uh, yeah, for some reason, I figured Lauren was going to have a British accent, and so were you. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, it sounds no, like no, one, it sounds be- like one of those adventures, you know, where the you know a couple of uh, well, we have a uh, uh, another uh, podcast at part of our four by four radio network, uh, Sinister Podcast, and and they talk a lot about these adventures. So that's probably the reason why I'm thinking. <laughs> Thinking no. you're, you got to have a British accent to be able to do these things. Now, we've had uh, Dan Greck. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Dan Greck, the road chose me, but he's done something similar. Uh, he w- went around the uh, uh, periphery of uh, uh, Africa uh, on a three mm. year a three year journey in a, uh, a Jeep uh, JKU. And uh, so uh, this reminds me a lot of, uh, of that, of, uh, of his adventure. He's had, actually had several of them. But uh, if you don't know about Dan Greck, you should uh, ch- check him out. He's uh, got some interesting things and, of course, uh, several books. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's one of the things you're hoping to do is, is uh, make a book out of these adventures, these journals. Um, were the journals written, like, at the end of the day? Because uh, from what you were telling me uh, prior to us recording, it sounded like there was a lot of writing going on. Was that done uh, whenever the trail was being cleared or the, the last thing uh, that was done before uh, going to sleep? Or how did that work? It depends. Um, Lawrence was Lawrence's nephew. He is Lawrence's nephew. Was Lawrence's nephew? I never had to know how to term it anymore <laughs> with Lauren gone. Anyway, he's still Lauren's nephew. Right. Um, he came down from uh, Washington State and joined us for the first uh, dry season in the Darien Gap. He was a 22-year-old kid, uh, nice young man. Don't know where I'd be today without him. He's still helping me out. Um but he usually, I think, journaled at the end of the day. And then the second dry season, my cousin and his brother-in-law came down for 18 days from the States. And they also both kind of journaled at the end of the day. But Lauren and I tended to journal throughout the day. Um, and we and start every journal entry with the time and the mileage of the Jeep. So you could, which was interesting, you know, going back and looking at it, you could see how far the Jeep had moved in three hours. You know, it might be a matter of feet or it wouldn't even show up on the odometer type of thing. That is a great (laughs) idea to show how much your transition time uh, was. uh, And it probably brought back memories of what you had to go through to make those uh, few feet of, of travel. 
Oh, yeah. And uh, the uh, dry season of 87, I had to, what I did is I flew down to Panama in December of 86 with uh, some parts for the Jeep. Lauren flew into Columbia with new uh, axle shafts for the Jeep. And I walked, went by boat um, and well, bus, boat, and then walked through the Darien Gap. I, I only walked. No, Lauren's the only one that drove through the Darien Gap. Everybody else walked. <laughs> but I walked through carrying these parts with natives oh, that I no. hired. Yeah. And it was amazing that, that I can remember walking from the, the village of Paya, which is the last village in Panama before the border, and walking and, you know, coming up and said, oh, this is our campground from whenever, you know, the previous dry season. And we'd walk another, you know, hour and, oh, here's the next night's campground right here. And so, you know, we walk all day, do 10, 11, 12 miles, whatever it is we're doing walking, and we'd go through four or five campgrounds of what the Jeep did. And that may have been several, you know, weeks of travel for the Jeep compared to what we were doing. I mean, it took me four days to walk through from from actually Pukaru to where the Jeep was in Colombia. And that was a over a 30-day struggle with the Jeep. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it just, it was a very, it was put it into perspective. Because when you're with the Jeep and moving, you know you're going slow. But all of a sudden now going back and going back and seeing, okay, we camped here one night. And, oh, look, we camped here the next night. And, oh, here's the next night's camp. And that's all within, you know, one day. So did Lauren, since he was the one driving the Jeep, did Lauren ever get uh, uh, frustrated with his progress or was he loving every second of it? He was loving every second of it. <laughs> That's what um, I thought. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, sometimes the more difficult it was, the more challenging it was, the more he was into it. Um, he enjoyed the he enjoyed the work. He en- it was his type of environment as far as the engineering and figuring out how to do things and how to make things work when they weren't working. Um, the, the only thing that really frustrated him was the politics that was sometimes involved, yeah. either because we were working different groups of people that didn't get along with each other. Um, one group didn't like this group and that group didn't like the other group. And all of a sudden, you know, nobody wants to work with anybody. And those things would tend to set him off more than, you know, a four hour winch job or something. Right. And that's a that's a good point too. I mean, I I think that it would be obvious uh, that you would have a winch, but uh, you what other modifications were there made to the Jeep for this trip? I mean, uh, you said a winch. Were uh, lockers installed? Uh, yep. What other type things that happened to it, if anything? Um, electric fuel pump. That was about. I always say that's the only thing electric on the whole vehicle was the electric fuel pump. Um. The Ramsey winch, power takeoff winch, and he modified the bump. He took the old the, the stock bumpers off the Jeep, and he put on um, high strength high I forget what he called high tensile strength steel pipe bumpers. Mm-hmm. So they were round, and he had uh, chains that hang out the ends of the pipe bumpers. They were there was a, a bolt that went through the pipe bumper with a nut on the bottom. So these three or four big heavy chains stuck out the ends of the bumpers front and rear. They played big time importance later on. Um, But the bumpers 
Right. They were indestructible. I mean, you dive into a ditch and you didn't crumple the bumper. You didn't do any real body damage or anything, you know, or you could take a couple of logs. If it was a real sharp gully that you were diving into, take a couple of, you know, two or three inch small trees, cut them and lay them down in there on the upside. So as you drove dove in, your bumper hit those two logs and would give a gliding pattern for you. So when you hooked your winch cable and started up, you're, you didn't dig into the the bank as much as you just kind of glided up it, glide up it with the, the round bumpers. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then these pipes that, uh, or excuse me, then the the chains that hung out the sides. We came up with a another. Well, I should back up another um, design he came up with before we left uh, the canal zone. We called them side hill adjusters. Um, he he welded a nut on the axle and a nut on the frame of the jeep, and he could on all four corners and he would be able to put a turnbuckle in there on the low side of the Jeep and tighten that up really tight. And that would throw some of the weight to the high side. And it would then also stiffen up the suspension some and take some of the play out of the spring. So doing side hills, side hills were probably our, our biggest nemesis because you know, they weren't, they were just the wrong angle. And Margarito got pretty good at being able to determine what, kind of a side hill we could do or couldn't do mm-hmm. um potential, but yeah they were they potential were roll, potential rollover is what you're talking about right and what he would do when we get onto some side hills that were really potential rollovers he'd attach a cable to a tree at one end of the side hill and then at the other end of the side hill put his side hill adjusters on the low side attach a snatch block to the cable and then hook the snatch block into the chain links front and rear on the high side. And then he could drive around the edge of that side hill, almost like a train on a track. It couldn't go anywhere. You were being tethered to the side of the hill because of the cable that was attached to the front or down one side, one location on the hillside and another location on the hillside. And these snatch blocks connecting the, and the cable to the Jeep. Right. And you could just drive around. Mm-hmm. So you kind of pivot around the the anchor point and then uh, right. get to a position and then uh, re, re, if you needed to, uh, attach it so you could continue pivoting. In, uh, right. In we had direction. a two-ton come along. Uh, last got two-ton come along. That was indispensable. Um, I can't think of too many other things. I mean, there was some stuff that he did to the Jeep to make it more... He had a, it's a hard top Jeep. It was not a, a soft top Jeep. It was a, a hard top. So he had to raise that roof four inches because he's six foot four. In order for him to see out that window of that old style Jeep where the, the hard top roof always came down over the windshield almost, you know, it, was, it just kind of curved over and he couldn't see out. So he raised the whole roof of the Jeep four inches by cutting it off. And if you ever see good pictures of the Jeep, you'll see big bolts along the doors where he had to bolt metal panels on the doors to lengthen the doors. And then there's black strips along the back, uh, at the rear windows on either side, you'll see black strips. Those are met, uh, wood that he put in there to fill up the space where he had raised it four inches. And then the, across the front, there was a metal strip in there that he put to raise it the four inches. Um, and then he had a roof rack on top that would come off and make a, attached to the side of the Jeep, and that was a, a table or a bed. He, he slept on the, this bed that attached to the side of the Jeep. Um, I could, well, we could actually, later on, when we were in various places like downtown Barcelona, we could both sleep inside the Jeep. Um, it was fixed up so 
one person, it was very comfortable. Two people, not so much, but we actually had slept in a few places where there was no camping, brakes went out in Barcelona, just pull off to the side of the road, pull the curtains, and yeah, we're that's home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you, because there's not a lot of room in a CJ. Uh, I was I was curious if you guys actually slept in there. When you said hardtop, it made sense to me because of uh, all the, the critters that could be running around there, uh, including the, the two-legged ones that aren't monkeys. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, we made so much noise. Most of the four-legged creatures were nowhere near us or the ones that slithered. Going through the gap, it was, I mean, we had men out in front clearing trail. The Jeep made a lot of noise. It, there was very, I mean, a couple of times, some of the guides, you know, the ones out in front would kill a snake or something. Right. But as far as um, anything dangerous, uh, well, I take that back. We did have uh, Cookie, the, the gentleman we hired as our cook, both the second and third dry season. Uh, he had a, a, a shotgun and we'd keep it in the, the Jeep. And he'd go out hunting every now and then to kind of supplement our diet. Oh, nice. And we were getting ready. We were coming up this really muddy, murky, awful-looking creek. And he came running back towards the Jeep, and he's yelling, Escopeda, Escopeda, shotgun, shotgun. He was up front several, oh, probably maybe, oh, a few hundred yards where he was making camp. And there was a wild, some wild pigs in camp, and he mm. wanted to get uh, a pig. Fresh bacon, yeah. Yeah. Um, but as far as anything, you know, panthers or any, nothing, no, they, Good. they heard us coming and they booked it and were so far gone in the next zip code that didn't, they, they never heard it. They never saw them. Yeah. Skipping back a little bit though. What about when you were walking and not making noise? Did you ever, ever have any issues, uh, walking along trying to catch up uh, to Lauren? No, the insects are by far the worst. I was always in front of the Jeep. So I got this Jeep breathing down my backside because um, my job and Lawrence's job were to stay with the Jeep, making sure that the, the trail had been cleared and there were no, that the, the natives had cleared it so that they didn't leave any sharp spikes sticking up right. if they, they, that would puncture a tire. Um, and then, of course, Lawrence was the one that would work the winch and make sure, because the winch was... Um, I don't know how to describe it, but anyway, he would work the winch from the outside, making sure that the cable always spooled properly and didn't bunch up on one side or the other and possibly, you know, crimp or cut the cable. Uh, And Lauren, of course, would be in the Jeep. But uh, again, we were, the men are out in front clearing trail. So we've got, you know, anywhere from four to 14 men working for us. Cookie might even be further ahead already making camp up there somewhere. And we're working our way towards him. So it's it's kind of like this parade going at slow motion through through the bush. And so yeah, there was I mean insects, we got bees, stings, ant bites, um gnats. Those were by far the worst. Um were there any uh mosquito malaria concerns? Um not in uh the Darien so much. Mosquitoes, yes, but not so much malaria. Um we were on the 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 anti-malarial pills but um the um mosquitoes usually come out like and being at the tropics you've got 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of dark so you could almost count on dark being at 6 30 at night and daylight being at 6 30 in the morning so it's usually that first few hours after the sun went down that the mosquitoes would really be bad and then they 
be gone. I mean, it would cool off enough that you wouldn't really notice them. But I would, I, I was in bed by dark every night. And we all were. It'd been a long, hot day. We were definitely ready for bed. Um, but uh, Africa, yeah, I got malaria in Africa. The we'd run out of pills by the time we'd reached. Uh, where were we? Central African Republic, probably. And uh, yeah. Probably, yeah, Central African Republic, and I came down with malaria. It wasn't diagnosed. I didn't really get sick until we were in Sudan, and uh, when we got to Khartoum, I was pretty much out of it. I, I don't remember. I mean, I know by reading the journal what went on, Lauren's journal, but I don't remember too much of that, the last day or so getting into Khartoum. My goodness. So, uh I would assume that some of these places would have things that you could buy for the Jeep. Like, uh, I wouldn't, I don't think a battery would, would go bad, but of course that would be a concern. Uh, what about, but I would think you would pop a tire every now and then. Were the tires repaired, replaced? Yes? Yes. <laughs> um, the, we used, let's see, we did have a puncture and we used some of that, um, that goo that you put in there, but you had to drive the vehicle oh, the 30 flat. miles an hour for so far in order for that stuff to fling in there and to yeah. seal it up. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, we're not driving two miles an hour. We're not driving one mile an hour. So we had to jack it up and take oh, it out of four wheel drive. Or spin it, yes. And, and then let it run for four, whatever the mileage was, so Lauren could get some speed to get that spun around in the tire. Um, we did that, and then there was one time we had to take a tire off a rim. I, I don't remember. I'd have to go through journals to get the full story. One of those things I can remember the highlights, but he had to take a tire off the rim and put a tube in it or a boot in it. I forget right. what he was putting in it. Probably a tube. Yeah, that sounds right. And he got the bead broken using a high lift jack, um, got the tire off the rim, and then found out that um, by putting his hand in there, he found out that there's a black palm is a type of tree that grows. That's the other thing. The insects and the black palm, those will get you. Um, it, it's a type of palm, but it has needles on it that are like two or three inches long. Very, very sharp. And they're dust. I mean, they just kind of want to reach out and grab you as you go by. Well, we drove over a lot of it. So there was a lot of black palm spikes through the tires. So Lauren took the, I call them side, he called them side cutters. I call them side cutters. They may be called lineman's pliers. I don't know for sure. Mm -hmm. and he took the side cutters and reached inside the tire and he's pulling out all these spines that he can find. Gets it all cleaned out and everything. Cleans it all up. Gets the tube put in. Gets the rim back. Gets the rim back on, sealed, all ready to go. Getting ready to mount it back. I guess he did get it mounted back on the Jeep. And cleaning up and putting stuff away, and we couldn't find the side cutters. Oh, no. Inside the tire. Inside the tire. <laughs> oh, you talk now those things kind of ticked him off. So it was like, okay, we've done it once. We'll do it again. Yeah, so, sure. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the whole thing had a process had to be repeated. Get the tire off. Get the bead broken. Get the tube out. Get the pliers out. Get the tube back in. The whole thing. Well, you know, things that uh, when you're at home or in a shop or something like that are very simple, but whenever you've been uh, going through going through it all day and then you have to fix something, 
uh, that just adds to it. Uh, yeah, things get forgotten, things get misplaced, and I, I'm, I'm sure that's how everybody loses their uh, 10 millimeter socket. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we lost the entire. Lauren, that was one thing he did with his most of his tools, like his um, open end box end wrenches. He had a, his sister made a piece of material that folded up at the bottom and it tapered. So you started at the short ones and went all the way up to the huge big honking ones and there was a pocket for each one see and it was red material so when you rolled it out you could see it and you could look at it and you could see every little slot had a uh open end box end wrench sitting in there so you knew that it was all there roll it up put it away well we stopped this was in france stopped one afternoon to uh lube the jeep if we ever came close to a separation divorce it was because of lubing that jeep <laughs> i still almost get sick of the smell of 90 weight oil Anyway, uh, we stopped, we're lubing the Jeep, and it was like a little, just a shady little place you could pull off the road, pulled off, did it, got back on the road, took off and left. 40 miles down the road, he said, are the wrenches down there by your feet? And I looked, I said, no. So turn around, we go, and sure enough, they were sitting on a fence post right there where we'd stopped, still sitting there, bright red piece of material wrapped up with all the wrenches in it, but it was still there. Well, that's good that it was there, but man, 40 miles. Especially, yeah. you were probably making decent time on that 40 miles, too. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. That was hardtop. That was pavement. So let me ask you this, uh, ch- changing the subject a little bit. Uh, you you joined the this, uh, this trek uh, not being married to Lauren. At, at what point was the romantic interest there? Because I would think it'd be kind of difficult uh, with being together like that with somebody and the the highs and the lows. I mean, there's no movies here. Yeah, <laughs> there's no going. No, I mean, was, you are going out was, to eat, but it's not really like a restaurant. <laughs> no, no, you you're literally shoulder touching shoulder in a CJ five. You know, for well, in the jungle, different. We weren't in the jeep that long. I mean, Lauren be in the jeep, I'd be out of the jeep. But it, no, it was probably well into South America. Yeah, yeah, I almost to Africa. I would say. Um, because South America was, that was our first, you know, you're on a, a surfaced road, you're making miles, but you're in that Jeep, you know, many hours at a time, sitting right next to somebody, and then, you know, making camp and, and doing laundry and doing paperwork at border crossings and, you know, the whole the whole nine yards as far as that goes. And uh, so, yeah, it was probably way down in South America, if not to Africa. Uh, yeah. How did you get married? Was there? Did you stop in a town, or did you no, wait till you got was, back? No, this was or? after we got back. We weren't married till we got back here to the states in '94. Oh yeah, '94. Yeah, and it was kind of interesting because '95, our first anniversary, we spent it in the Darien Gap. <laughs> we went back down. We hadn't had enough of it. We went back down with a Rocon two-wheel drive motorcycle, American-made. And took that through the gap entirely on land, and that's where we spent our first our first anniversary. That's really cool. Now, how long were you guys married? Um, what ninety four to when he passed away last year? I'd have to figure that out. I'm not good with math. More than five years, which oh, is yeah. which is damned yeah. amazing, especially yep. considering. Yeah, this had to have been the worst time as far as his personality goes with all these challenges and, and yours as well. So 
that's amazing that you guys found each other and it's amazing that you guys stayed together and uh i, I don't want to gla- gloss over this but uh, lauren passed away uh august uh, 2022 mm-hmm. yes he'd had um what they call Louis body with dementia it's a it's yeah it's it's a horrible horrible disease it's kind of in the parkinson's family but much 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 worse as far as i can tell um it's related to that frontal lobe dementia it's yeah it's it's just one of those really really nasty diseases and he probably had had it for several years but it wasn't diagnosed till 2019 and he'd been having some medical problems and that's why kind of jumping way far ahead when we were doing this expedition around the world in the jeep we got to israel and we could not in 1988 and we could not drive to jordan the they didn't jordan and israel did not have diplomatic relations at that time the only other way we could have gone and remember this is 1988 is Lebanon, and that was shortly after the um, bombing of the Marine Corps barracks in Lebanon. So Americans were definitely not welcome in in Lebanon. And when you're driving a Jeep, bright red, with California license plates, you can't hide anywhere. (laughs) So we got to Israel, could not drive to Jordan. We spent probably a week, maybe a little less, talking to people, including um, members of the United Nations um, better representatives that were there said look you guys take the jeep paint it white put a big blue un on it you drive it across the bridge to jordan and we'll get across some other way and we'll pick it up no we can't do that we have we're we're not even allowed to drive across we have to drive up to the bridge get out of our car walk across the bridge pick up that car on the other side no vehicle so we ended up going back into egypt and shipping uh by ferry boat up to uh jordan and we attempted to get as close to the border of Israel as we could once we left uh, the little port town of Aqaba and we got over on what they called Airport Street. And I mean, you could see Israel was a mile and a half, two miles away, but we couldn't get there. There was just no way. That's so a shame. we ended up saying, okay, we'll come back. Well, long story short, we didn't get back until 2018. And Lawrence, Lauren's nephew came to the rescue, got the Jeep, redid her, got her refurbished, roadworthy, the whole bit, um, with the help of a, a friend of his, Mike Merck and Mike's dad. And then um, the man we had been working for for many years here in Idaho uh, and a good friend of ours said, look, I will pay for your transportation and the Jeep's transportation to Israel round trip. But you have to go now because he could see Lauren's health was deteriorating because he'd only see Lauren every few months. So he was seeing a lot more of the deterioration than I was. Right. And he said, no, you've got to go now. You've got to go sooner than later. So we went in the spring of 2018 and we drove the Jeep from Israel, from the Yatsuk Rabine border crossing, uh, a highway, I think it was Highway 19 out of Elot to airport street where we were almost 30 years prior in jordan made a u-turn and came back into israel we called it the final mile it ended up being i think two and a half miles um very cool but we used the same vehicle not a series of them entirely by land so the same jeep went completely around the world on a north-south course all on land except for the south atlantic Mm -hmm. 
Now, I'm sure you've already thought thought of this, but I'm going to mention it anyway. Um, it's very, very sad uh, what Lauren uh, went through and, uh, you know, ultimately succumbed to the, the issues that he was having. But my God, what an adventure. Uh, there's people that uh, have lived their entire life within a very small geographical area, haven't traveled much. So I would say that Lauren and you have had uh, just an incredible adventure that most people will never have. So uh, it, it's sad, but a life lived well, I think, makes it yes. all the better. And something I, I've always said that I was traveling before I was born. Um, my dad was Marine Corps, uh, and he and my mom were living in, um, in California, Camp Pendleton, and he was shipped to uh, Japan. Mom was pregnant with me, and he was going to be over there a year and a half um, or two years. I forget what it was. I guess it was a year and a half at that time. So her mom flew out from New Jersey and came and picked my mom up and flew back to New Jersey. So mom was pregnant with me when uh, she flew back to uh, New Jersey, and that's where I was born. So I always say I was traveling before I was born. And then dad being Marine Corps, you know, every few years you had your bags packed saying, okay, where are we going now? And, uh, I bet you that made a big difference to actually going uh, off-road with uh, on this, this track with Lauren because you kind of were used to being moved around and, and new adventures at new places. I just love it. I mean, it's just, I just like seeing new things and doing new things and seeing new places. Um, maps, as a kid, I love maps. I can, re- I can remember reading books like uh, about Livingston and Stanley and Africa and um, Osa and Martin, um, Osa Martin, what was her husband's name? Osa, oh, I can't think of her last name, Osa and Martin. Oh, can't think of their last name. They're back in the down. 20s where they did a lot of the original wildlife, uh, wild uh, animal photography in Africa and Borneo and places like that. I can remember reading books from them and seeing old movies of that. When I was a kid, that was my t- That's what I wanted to do. Where I wanted to go. I want to do that. It's just amazing that you had this opportunity. I mean, just uh, the, the chance meeting of him, uh, of Lauren coming through there and multiple times. Uh, to, to be able to have this thing that was uh, kind of sounds like it was uh, inbuilt in you, uh, the adventure side of things. So do you do any uh, going off and doing adventures uh, to this day or uh, has that ended for you? Well, not well in a different sense. Um, when Lauren and I were, when Lauren was still here, we're not cold weather people. Idaho is a beautiful state, but we are just not cold weather people. <laughs> and um the gentleman we work for, it's a summer home for him, so the place would be closed down, and we would leave and go to um, Southern California, Southern Arizona um, for the winter. And for the first few years, we just had a Suburban, and we camped out of the Suburban. We'd, you know, find, just see how far we could go on dirt roads, back roads, you know, desert roads from point A to point B and see what was there. Um and we did that for a couple of years. And then we thought, oh, we're getting too old for this. It's so windy. I don't want to cook tonight. It's, you know, get up the next morning. The wind was still blowing. You can't cook outside. That's I'm done with this. So we got a trailer. And uh, we take it down there and basically boon, not boondocked, but it was a, it was a campground. But it was all no, no facilities. There was no water. There was no hookups. You had solar panel, how to hold your water. Uh, you had pit toilets. But it was just beautiful desert. And, yeah, we camp there for two to three months and take off road trips, you know, leave, leave the trailer and go off for four or five days. 
we did that for a number of years. And then um, his health was beginning to get a little bit worse. And we decided, okay, maybe we need to upgrade. And we got to um, a trailer with full hookups. And for two years, we did, for two winters, we did trailers with full, uh, full hookups. Um, but, you know, it just kind of, you know, as you get older, you realize that you can't do quite as much as you wanted to do as well as you used to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And then when he passed away in August, it, um, I know they always tell you, don't do anything for a year after you lose a loved one. Don't make any rash decisions or anything like that. Well, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, something that Lauren and I always wanted to do was take our Jeep and showcase it at Overland festivals, Overland expos, Jeep festivals across the U.S. Tell the story and show her. Uh, and we always called her her. She was called the Sandship Discovery after uh, one of uh, Captain Cook's vessels of the 1700s. Anyway, we wanted to take her and show her and uh, tell her story, look for maybe someone would be interested in writing the book, writing our story, taking all this information that we have and, and selling it and making some money for us and mm-hmm. them as well. Anyway, um, but all these expos and Overland shows take place from like May August, September. Well, that was our work. We worked during that time period because, like I said, this was a summer home for this gentleman. So that was our busy time. So we never took the time off to do it. And then when Lauren got sick and couldn't travel, we couldn't do it. Right. So I decided after he passed that, okay, I'll put it off and I'll do it next year. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to be 70 next year. Maybe I shouldn't put it off. Life changes <laughs> in a heartbeat. It so. Does. That's why I, I've decided this summer, that's what I'm doing. Uh, with Lawrence's help, um, I've purchased a 20-foot enclosed car hauler trailer. I won't drive the Jeep. I, I, and actually, let me back up a minute. I, other than in Israel in 2018, the final mile, that's the only time I've driven the Jeep. Oh, my God. <laughs> I have not driven. Uh, Lauren drove the Jeep. First of all, it fit him. Being six foot four. it was just kind of more his... It fit him. It was a little bit harder for me to reach everything the way he had it set up. Um, and it has, you know, it's 66. I mean, nothing. There's no power brakes there. There's no power steering. Oh, crazy. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, driving it in Israel for to Jordan uh, for that final mile, that was that was enough. I, I don't need to do it any more than that. So I'm I'm got a car hauler. I'll be towing it to um uh, various expos this this coming um, summer. I'll be in um, Flagstaff at the Overland Expo West in May, and then I'll be at the Bantam Jeep Heritage Festival in June in uh, Butler, Pennsylvania, and then I'll be at the Toledo Jeep Fest uh, in August, and then I'll be at the Overland Expo Mountain West in Loveland, Colorado, in August. Uh, the third week in August, I guess it is the last weekend in August. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can look all these places up on online and and get their dates and everything. Right. But right. Um, I've decided that if I and, and if this works out well and I can maintain, you know, doing this and and everything, then maybe next year I'll take it to some other places. But I want to get these four under my belt and um, see how it goes. And there'll be plenty of time. In between these, that I'm going to travel back through the Badlands and see uh, the Badlands of South Dakota, which I've never seen, and um, Mount Rushmore, which I've never seen. And then when I'm in Colorado, I want to visit several places there that I've never been. So 
I'm going to take some time in between and, and see some places, that sort of thing. So it's not going to be necessarily off-roading or anything like that, but it's going to be doing something, you know, a little bit for me and out there right now, my age. Well, you know, I think it's a great thing because you have, and we, and I know that we've only touched just the surface of the story, but you getting out there and letting people see the machine that took you guys and maybe talk to you a little bit and hear some of the stories. I think that that's, I think you've done enough off-roading. I'm not saying don't stop it, but I'm just saying, I think you've done enough off-roading. Now's the time to, to share that. And I, I think that'll do very well. I don't know what your belief system is, but I get the feeling that uh, Lauren is on the other side, clearing the trail for you this time. Oh yeah. He's, he's with me. <laughs> One of the, um, sayings that he has painted on the side of his 77 um jeep is what i will i do what wait a minute what i dare i will what i will i do and this was just a, a saying he had on the painted on the side of his jeep and it kind of sums up his philosophy if he's gonna if he wills it he'll do it so I'm I'm using that as my my motto as well. Of course, it sounds like it was one of the things that got you guys through that. So uh, I want everybody, all of our listeners, to go over to outbackofbeyond.com, outbackofbeyond.com. And uh, Patty, if there if we do have somebody out there that would like to to write your book or series of books, uh, could they reach you through the uh, the website outbackofbeyond.com? Uh, they can and yeah there's actually a page on there that says journalist wanted um as well as there is a, a page on there for my uh schedule this year uh for this coming summer as to where i'll be with links to those places perfect but my email address is just my first name patricia at outbackofbeyond.com so and you can there's a link on the website uh think on every page almost to just click on it and send me an email very cool well we'll have that in the show notes uh, for this episode so uh we'll have uh, multiple ways of uh, people to reach you even if, even if they just have a question or two uh, oh yeah and yeah. i'm open to answering questions that's not a problem in fact i'm probably I, shutting me up is usually a little bit more difficult than getting me talking so yeah <laughs> that's well that's great for an interview <laughs> <laughs> Well, Patty, I want to thank you a lot for being with us here tonight. Again, uh, I'm so sorry to hear about Lauren, but man, what a great adventure uh, that uh, not only he, but you had, and uh, you were a big part of that, I can tell. So, uh, and, and, and by the way, uh, great job on the red Jeep, because red is the right color for a Jeep. <laughs> you bet. Yep, her, his colors were red, red, yellow, and black, and those three together are almost unbeatable. Yeah, that's very true. And the significance was, I'm going to tell you the significance, okay. red, was for, red was for love, yellow or gold was for worth, and black was for the depth of determination. Oh, very good. I like that. Well, he had a lot of time to think while he was uh, going through all that, <laughs> all mm. that trail and stuff. So very, very, very nice. Uh, Patty, thank you very much, and I uh, appreciate you being here. And we'll have to have you back and get more of the story. Uh, and I'm really glad to hear you're going to, to lead a Jeep Fest. I was actually going to mention that one, uh, but you're you're already scheduled for that. I think they'll really enjoy yeah. having that uh, older Jeep there, and especially uh, what it's been through. 
Yeah, actually, I had talked with, um, I gotten in touch with, and I can't believe it, remember his name. This was before COVID when the, the, they were talking about opening or building a new Jeep museum in Toledo. And I was put in touch with Jerry Hubber. I was going to uh, say, I was going to say Jerry yeah. Hubber. We've had him on the show. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I was put in touch with him and they're, they're deaf. He knows about it. Very interested. Now, if they can just get a museum built. We've got a home for the Jeep because that's one of the other things we are looking for is a home for the Jeep, a fitting home where she'll be displayed and her story can be shown or talked about for time to come Perfect. and hopefully inspire people to get out there, do things, see Ex what's out there. Exactly. This would be a, you know, there's a big wide world out there and open the door, go on out, see what's there. Hey, I want to thank Patty Upton for being with us here tonight and uh, talking about just a great adventure. And uh, it still amazes me that he she went off on this adventure uh, and that day-to-day -day grind of being with somebody uh, through, I mean, I'm sure it was interesting, but such slow forward progress and uh, finding the where you're going to food, having to walk to get Jeep parts, and she still married the guy. That's just an amazing love story. Uh, <laughs> Any of you people that have been married for very long, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, now, I get along with my wife great. Uh, it, it, absolutely no problems there whatsoever. So, honey, if you're listening, uh, it, everything's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about you at all. No, but nobody likes waking up with a pillow on their face. <laughs> hey, remember, if you missed any part of today's show or want to listen to past episodes, you can always find us on your favorite podcast platform or on our website and if you have any jeep related questions or topics you'd like for us to cover feel free to reach out to us on social media or via email until next time keep on jeeping and we'll see you on the trails broadcasting since 2010